Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Grieving Well. Today, we will be closing C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, and what I'd like to do with this is actually work backwards. I want to start with the very last paragraph of the last chapter, in which he says how wicked it would be, if we could, to call the dead back. She said, not to me, but to the chaplain, I am at peace with God. She smiled, but not at me. Puesiterno aliterna fontana. This obviously leaves us a pretty good bit to unpack here. And so let me start by setting up what he's talking about as far as the situation. What he's describing here are his wife's final moments before she passed. For those of us that have sat with someone, been with someone at their bedside as they pass, it can be a an amazing roller coaster of emotions. There can be a lot that comes out in the midst of all that. I've been with five different people as they lay dying, and some of them went more peacefully. Some of them went out of this world. One in particular, a gentleman that I know, went out of this world screaming in pain, went out of this world with regrets. He went out of this world begging God to forgive him for sins, confessing all kinds of things. Um, Of course, you don't want to be around for No one wants to be around for any kind of death, but it was the kind of death that was incredibly uncomfortable to watch. But what Lewis describes here is something quite different, and this is something that can be of a piece to especially the believer who is married to a believer, that his wife was able to go out of this world with a smile on her face, with being able to say, I am at peace with God. And yet we still see in the midst of Lewis's lines here, There's some pain, there's some regret, and yet there's some closure. We as humans are incredible creatures, if for no other reason than the fact that we, unlike any other other beast, any animal, any machine, we can hold what would seem to be contradictory emotions at the same time. We can... We can, even though it may not be right, it may not be natural, it may not be logical or rational, but I don't know about you guys, but I can find myself loving and hating something simultaneously. I can find myself inspired and yet also in fear of something. And so what we see here with Lewis, and and I, I think this captures grief, especially as we come to terms with grief, he, he captures something really well right here in the sense that he's able to show us that a believer in the midst of grief and as they are walking, I don't know if I want to say out of grief because for anyone that's ever lost someone or, again, more broadly, lost something that matters to us so deeply, when we think of it, you know, there can be times of pain. And yet what we see here, though, I, I say all of that to get back around to this. We see in this last paragraph that Lewis It's demonstrating that a Christian can simultaneously be in pain and yet have peace. A pain and peace is something that we talked about last episode with David, Psalm 22, with Jesus echoing those words on the cross, that the Christian life often is this. It is often a peaceful pain. It is often a return to the psalm that comes right after Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, where it's, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There is a preposition in that sentence that terrifies me at times, but also brings me great hope. Though I walk 
through the valley, not over, not around. I don't teleport to the other side of it. Often I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet even though that's true, I will fear no evil. This is, again, such a an incredibly vital and important part of the gospel. Now, what I would like to do is look at this last paragraph line by line and just offer a few comments. He says first, how wicked it would be if we could to call the dead back. What's interesting about that sentence is the implication in there, and we definitely can infer here quite clearly that for Lewis, there is this desire still, after he has filled up four manuscript books, four note, you know, four notebooks that he's got laying around the house, he, even after, probably at this point, several months have passed, even after that time, there's this desire that, you know, I, I wish, I know he doesn't come right out and say it here, but it's obvious how, how I wish I could call her back. There's part of me that desires to have her back. And for those of us who have lost loved ones, you know how that is. How much would you give for five more minutes with that person? What would you give up? How far would you walk barefoot? What would you do? What links would you go to? How much money would you spend? What promises would you make in order to just get one more day? This is where Lewis is right here, and that's okay in the sense that... Uh, in quote, moving on or or coming to a better sense of yourself as we walk through the grief process or as we walk through the through the loss of anything, it is completely okay and natural to say, man, if only, if only I could. And yet there's there's a balance in this sentence. He's because he says here again how wicked it would be if we could to call the dead back. He recognizes that. He recognizes that even if I could call her back with where she is now, there's no way I would. There's no way I would rob her of that. What a, what a great picture of marriage. What a great picture of love that, you know, I would forego all pleasure, all things that I received from her. I will drop those down knowing that she's better than okay right now. I've mentioned in previous episodes the even if they are true, but the often what can what can seem to be cliches that surround grief, that surround uh, the loss of a loved one, you know they're in a better place. But here with Lewis, this this is, these aren't just words. This this isn't a Hallmark card for Lewis right here. How wicked it would be if we could to call the dead back. He's come to that reality to really truly see his wife as actually in a better place. But I also here want to draw attention to the broader Christian understanding that we can see here of an eternal mindset, of this ability to, again, I've, I've used language like this in previous episodes, but to pivot our gaze, to swivel our head, to, to turn our eyes, as the old hymn says, you know, to turn our eyes upon Jesus Things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light and glory of His grace. 
One of the most fundamental Christian doctrines is the is that of redemption. Unfortunately, uh, and I say that, I, I want to temper my statement here, so often limit redemption to only soteriology, which is to say we, we limit it only to salvation. But redemption is, is much broader than that. It's how God deals with man. It's how God deals with the world. Now, there's God's wrath and there's destruction, but, also, but for the believer... And for the world, and even uh, there's also common grace upon the unbeliever so often. God is a God of redemption. He's a God of the reclaim. He's a God of the transformation of ugliness into beauty, of death into life. And that's what we're seeing here in this paragraph from Lewis, is this amazing ability. And it's a gift. This isn't, this isn't naturally a human thing. This is a gift from God that he would... Uh, sometimes wire us in such a way to be able to pick up on the on these things, but also through His Holy Spirit that He empowers the believer to to be able to view things through a different lens. Because I mean, here's the deal: at the end of the day, if you're not a believer in God, if you're not a believer in the supernatural, if you dismiss uh, that there is anything that exists beyond this life, then a coffin is as far as we go. That's it. That's the best we can do. We have no hope for ourselves. We have no hope for our loved ones. But what do we see in the cross? Why is it that the cross has been transformed? For contemporary Romans, a cross, what we would today term a crucifix even, you know, any type of imagery that would show a cross or someone hanging on a cross, it just meant death. I mean, that's all it meant. Uh, Wearing that on a necklace around your neck would be ludicrous. And why do we do that today? I mean, because, I mean, we're not not dumb. We've seen things like the Passion of the Christ. Even just from reading the Gospels, we get a, a pretty clear picture of how gruesome it was. And yet we look at this thing of death and we see life. That doesn't make sense. That's not very rational except if you believe there's something beyond it. Easter, for example. We celebrate Easter on Easter Sunday. It's, I mean, obviously, Good Friday is an amazing day. It's, not, it's an amazingly, deeply, theologically meaningful time. But if it were just the cross, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, If there is no resurrection of the dead, we among men are most to be pitied. People ought to feel sorry for us, Paul says, if there's no resurrection. And so the Christian is able to see in death, or rather, again, let me talk about prepositions for a second. We're able to see past death. Uh, We're able to see through death and see life that's on the other side. Christ himself, according to Hebrews 12 says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's, it is seeing beyond sin, seeing beyond our pain, seeing beyond even our own deaths, the deaths of those around us, the loss that we see in this world. And when I say to see past those things, obviously uh, we're not ignoring them. This is, again, where humans being the incredibly complex creatures that we are, we can see both. I can look at my mother, for example. I can see her on her deathbed, 
And I, I can picture that memory right now in which I was grieving and in pain and in sorrow. And yet at the same time, I had joy. I had joy because of knowing where she was headed. The last few weeks for her, especially the last few days, were so hard. They were so tough on her. She was on liquid morphine at home for months. So yes, I can look at her on that bed, and as she draws her final breaths, I can weep for myself, and I can smile for her. And that is what grief is. That's gospel-centered grief. Because without the cross, without Jesus' resurrection, without the promise of resurrection for her, without the promise of resurrection for me, this is it. This is it. This is all I get. All I can do is hold on to what I have. And that is a huge part of the process that we've seen Lewis go through in this book. Is here at the end, he's able to see his wife at the father's side. He's able to see his beloved in, in the undiscovered country that they had so often talked about, that they had so often wondered about. Now, believe it or not, that's only one sentence we've covered. So I've just got two, two more here, one very quick and then just a little bit more. But she said, not to me, but to the chaplain, I'm at peace with God. There again, I'll just say very briefly, we see this mixture Why does Lewis put in this detail of she said it not to me, but to the the chaplain? But she said her final words not to her husband, but to someone else. And that stings Lewis. And yet in this same sentence, he continues, what did she say to the chaplain? I am at peace with God. Those are her final words. And what better final words could you hope for? And then like poetry, Lewis adds a third line in which we have this mixture of pain and peace. She smiled but not at me. And then in the Italian poesy, Torno al Eterna Fontana. I'm probably butchering that Italian. But what we have here is Lewis referencing the great Italian poet, one of the world's greatest poets of all time, better than Milton, better than Shakespeare, Dante Alighieri, Italian poet. He wrote what's called the Divine Comedy around 1300. And in that, he actually has himself as the central character, and he takes a journey. Uh, He goes through, begins at the gates of hell, goes through it, goes through because he was a medieval Roman Catholic, so he believed in purgatory. So uh, after he makes his journey through hell, he makes a journey through purgatory, finally making his way through heaven all the way to God himself. And along the way, we meet some fascinating characters meet some really interesting folks. But Dante, the character, of course, he's never been through any of these places, so he needs a guide. Guiding him through the Inferno, as he would call hell, which hopefully a lot of you, even if you've never read it, you might recognize Dante's Inferno, that being the first of the three books. His guide through both hell and most of purgatory is the great Roman poet Virgil. And so Virgil carries him as far as he can up to almost right at heaven, but Virgil, being a, uh, a man of hell, can carry him no further. And so at this point, Dante sees his beloved, Beatrice. Beatrice was the love of Dante's life. As C.S. Lewis is to joy, Dante is to Beatrice. And so 
Long story short, uh, and when I say long story, a very long story short, what we actually have from Dante in his final moments with Beatrice is this line that Lewis quotes, which roughly translates to, and then she returned to the eternal fountain. If any of you are familiar with Dante's Divine Comedy, it might make sense why Lewis would reference him. Because throughout his journey, we see Dante at times seeming like he's wanting to make it all the way to heaven so that he can see God, but often he keeps talking about Beatrice. He just wants to be with her. He wants so badly to get to Beatrice. And there's this interesting thing as you read Dante to try to figure out, is he in love with God or is he in love with Beatrice? And this is what Lewis has battled with throughout this whole book of A Grief Observe. Am I in love with my wife, Joy, or am I in love with God? Which one comes first? Which one is channeled through the other? And I believe what we have here, Lewis doing here at the end, is is finally figuring out, and it's what Dante figured out at the end of of his journey as well, is that the love that I had for her, the love that I had for Beatrice, Dante would say, the love that I had for Joy, Lewis would say, are glimpses. Now, they're strong glimpses, but they are glimpses of the eternal. The light that I see in them are, I almost want to use the word shadow, but of course we're talking about brightness here, but they're, they're bright silhouettes that this love that I've had here is but an echo of the eternal thunderings of a glorious Father and His love for me. What I found in her, I find in Him more greatly. Now, to end this, let me go back to the poetry that we saw throughout this paragraph, is to say, on the one hand, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I miss my beloved so deeply. And yet, on the other hand, I'm able to see that they were an echo of something even greater. That what I had in them, I will have even more. That this is not the final day. This is not the end. This is not death as it presents itself. Death in the sense that it is finality, but instead... It is a pause. It is a comma. It's not a period. And so my final prayer for you is that for those of you who have lost, maybe are walking through loss right now, it hurts. Don't let anyone tell you different. And be okay with the fact that it hurts. Now, when I say be okay with that, I don't mean accept it and just, you know, tough tough your way through it. We've talked about that. No, what I'm saying, though, is allow yourself to hurt. Allow yourself to, to feel the pain. But if possible, if there is that spark, if there is that even but an ember, that tiny bit that we could blow on and, and create a fire of joy that would come out of it, that we're able to see past death, that we're able to see beyond it, that we're able to walk past it as we go on this journey, But most of all, again, referencing last episode, fall into the Father. Fall apart in Him. This is the gospel to be His and to find all hope and peace in Him. I 
thank you finally for walking along with me through this and just know that I am praying for you. I may not know you by name. I may not know who's listening, but I am praying for you and praying that you find the peace that only God can give. God bless you.